Good morning, church. It is our pleasure to welcome as our guest preacher this morning, Dr. Marjorie Kerr, um, who is the president of Tyndale University. And Knox and Tyndale have a long history of friendship with one another, going back to the time when they were Ontario Bible College and just up the road on Spadina from us here. And during that long friendship, many people in our community have been educated at Ontario Bible College and, and Tyndale, and many people in our community even now are students studying at Tyndale, and so we're so grateful for this continuing friendship and relationship. Dr. Kerr began her term as president and vice chancellor of Tyndale University in July of 2020, so it's been, I'm sure, a very interesting season to enter into a new position in ministry. Uh, she holds a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology from the University of Waterloo. She's a registered psychologist in Ontario and executive coast coach and holds membership in a variety of professional associations, but most importantly, she is a faithful follower of Jesus. She comes to us from the Salvation Army tradition, and we are so deeply grateful for her willingness to share God's word with us this morning. Would you join me in prayer? God, we are grateful. We're grateful for the faithful ministry of Tyndale University in our city and for the ways that our church has benefited from leaders who have been trained in that school by many members in our community who have um, learned more about you and your gospel in that context and have been faithful members of your church in all sorts of spheres of society. And we're grateful for Dr. Kerr for this um, position of leadership that she's felt called to at Tyndale for the way that she's faithfully begun that ministry and the vision that she has for the future of Tyndale and for her willingness to be with us this morning, to share your word with us in our worship. We pray that you would speak to us through her, that you would give us hearts and minds to hear you speaking in her words. And ultimately, God, we pray that the words of her mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, Knox Church, and thank you, Reverend Nick, for your welcome and prayer and for inviting me to join with this congregation and share in your service today. I am delighted to be here with you, and I know that there has been a long relationship between Knox and Tyndale University over the years, and I expect there may even be some Tyndale students and alumni participating in our worship this morning. But you and I are new to each other. As was just mentioned, I came to Tyndale as president last July, and so this is a wonderful opportunity for me to participate in worship with you as a congregation at Knox. Like every university, we've just completed a full year of academic instruction in a time of COVID. The virtual convocation for our seminary took place yesterday, and our undergraduates and teacher candidates will have their convocations in couple of weeks on May the 29th. If you're interested, all of those services, you can catch them on our website. But you know, it has been a remarkable year, and God has been faithful through it all. Our enrollment at Tyndale has remained stable and even grown a little bit in some areas. And to date, we've not had any COVID outbreaks on our campus, and I am thankful to God for that every single day. Our students, staff, and faculty alike have demonstrated perseverance to continue through a challenging year. 
They've demonstrated compassion and patience with each other in all the adaptations that have been required, and they've maintained a steadfast commitment to the mission of Tyndale University. And in a nutshell, that mission is to educate, develop, and prepare women and men to serve the church and the world for the glory of God. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. You know, whenever I am preparing a message from the Word of God, I'm always very aware of the tremendous responsibility it represents. All of us are accountable for presenting Scripture accurately and consistently. At the same time, however, each of us reads and understands Scripture in the context of our own social, educational, family, and faith traditions and other influencing variables as well. My understanding of Scripture has most certainly been shaped by my denominational heritage in the Salvation Army, by my parents and family, through my education and experience as a professional in the field of industrial organizational psychology, and through my vocational experience as a leader in Christian higher education. And so while I will do my best to present scripture accurately this morning, my message today must be tested against the consistencies of scripture overall. And I would actually invite you to test what you hear from me today. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21, test everything, hold on to the good. I'm aware that in recent weeks you've been considering the theme of good news for the whole world. And I've been interested in the themes and messages that have been presented so far. The righteous shall live by faith, the gospel in everyday life, and good news for sinners. Today I'm going to speak on the theme of a gospel for the whosoever. That's why I chose the scripture readings this morning from John and the first letter of John. Now, admittedly, whosoever is an old word. As a little girl learning Bible verses in Sunday school, now several decades ago, we were still using the King James Version of the Bible. And so I learned John 3.16 in the words of the King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Modern translations, including the New International Version, which was read to us just a few minutes ago, tend to use the word whoever or everyone, and it means the same thing. But even though I haven't used the King James Version very much in many years, some of those early memory verses from my childhood are still King James language in my head. So when I think of John 3.16, the word whosoever still resonates with me and uniquely speaks to me of the gospel as being for absolutely everyone. That message is carried forward into John's first letter to the church. In those verses read a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, the words everyone and whoever appear seven times. Verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. And then in verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In these verses, we see the recurring theme of a gospel that is for everyone. Last Saturday evening, a week ago, I was invited to speak at the commissioning service for graduates from the Canadian Chinese School of Theology. The CCST has a long history with Tyndale. And because this message for today was already in my mind, I referenced John 3.16 as I spoke to this group of new graduates, and I shared with them that on a very personal level, I find John 3.16 to be one of the most astonishing verses in all of our scriptures. It tells us that God loves this world in its entirety, so much so that he gave his son Jesus to provide eternal life to everyone who believes in him. The times we live in right now, the things taking place in our world, in our cities, and in our communities, certainly these are times that what we need are people who will faithfully teach and exemplify that Christ is for everyone. No one is excluded. No one has to earn their way or somehow make themselves better first. Education, wealth, power, influence, our need, our limitations, even sin itself. Nothing we are or have done either enables or prevents anyone from receiving eternal life. It is only Jesus. Jesus provides eternal life to everyone who believes. That is the astonishing premise of our Christian faith. Unfortunately, We also know that Christianity has not always been represented that way. Intentionally or otherwise, there have been times when parts of the church have put conditions on the everyone that Christ came to save. People have sometimes been excluded or made to feel that somehow they must first become worthy before Jesus can love them. But that is not the good news for the whole world that is presented in the gospel and that we just read in John 3.16. One of my Bible teachers, when I was a young adult, taught me that the great truths of the Bible are spread throughout Scripture, and that this is one way we can test what is being presented to us. So let's not limit our thinking today to only John's writings. Let's look a little more broadly, beginning with Jesus himself. What did this idea of everyone look like in Jesus' time on earth? We know from all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus' concept of whoever and everyone included the poor, the sick, the uneducated, and the sinners of the day within Judaism. It included fishermen, everyday families, tax collectors, thieves, and doubters. His life and mission were radical because he upended the religious assumptions of his day that oftentimes sidelined, ignored, or punished those who were not considered to be faithful and righteous. But Jesus went further than that. 
We read in the Gospels that he broadened his message to include those who were outside the scope of Judaism and the law of Moses. Examples include stories of the Roman centurion and his sick servant, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the Syrophoenician woman who begged for healing for her daughter. These are just a few examples. And of course, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus even made the bad guy the hero of his story. So we see that Jesus' concept and practice of whosoever was astonishing because it literally included everyone, inside and outside, of the religious cultural practices of his time. But even with that in mind, you know, the early church didn't fully understand that right away. In the earliest years of the developing church, the initial focus was on taking the gospel to the Jews across cities and countries and boundaries. The apostles taught in the synagogues first. And it was significant and caused some concern when the apostles began engaging with those outside of the Jewish faith and tradition. For example, in Acts chapter 10, we read the account of when Peter's vision, Peter had a vision of God letting down a large sheet filled with unclean animals for him to eat. Eventually, this vision took him to the home of Cornelius, a non-Jew and a centurion of the Roman Empire. In Cornelius's home, Peter preached the gospel, baptized, and shared a meal. This was unheard of. In verses 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 10, we read this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And in verse 43, Peter continues. All the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets. This is not just a New Testament phenomenon. And everyone who believes in him, there are no limitations or exclusions. This is indeed a gospel for the whosoever. Similarly, the Apostle Paul, early in his ministry, began sharing the gospel with Gentiles, those outside the inner circle of Judaism. And in Acts chapter 15, we read that Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to argue before the very first church council that these Gentile converts to Christ shared equally in God's plan, that they're included in the gospel and that they should not be required to adopt the law of Moses. I think it is important to step back and remember that we are the part of the them that Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and others argued for and defended as being counted among the whosoever. Consequently, we must always remember as well to be on guard against becoming the current we and putting up barriers for whatever those others might be. We've been accepted by Christ because the gospel is for everyone. We cannot change it to a gospel that is for everyone except. A number of years ago, I had a good conversation with a friend of mine about faith. At the time, we were both pursuing some graduate courses. We're both Christians, and we were discussing our Christian faith 
in comparison to other world religions. Whether it is arrogant to speak of only one truth that is represented in the triune God. Whether such a view is viable in our current social, political, and economic times. Whether Christianity has simply become one more isolated and elited exclusive club for desirable people. And it wasn't just a philosophical or theological discussion. It was actually about the here and now as we were grappling with the practical application of our faith. And I remember my friend making a distinction between exclusivity and elitism, and it stayed with me. She said, yes, Christianity is an exclusive religion in that it excludes other gods. As Christians, we believe there is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus the Son came to earth, was crucified for our sin, was raised from the dead to defeat sin and death, and that it is through him that we can truly know God. But Christianity is not elitist, and it does not exclude people. And so we can return to John 3.16 and the message carried across the scriptures that we've just touched on this morning. And we can take joy in the knowledge that Christianity and the gospel is for everyone, regardless of education, social standing, heritage, capacity, wealth, influence, authority, or any other factor. That, I believe, is good news for the whole world. If we accept this as true, that the gospel is available for everyone who believes, then we also recognize that each of us has a decision to make and a choice to make as to whether we will believe and accept this gospel into our own lives. Will we acknowledge our sin, claim the salvation offered by Christ, and live a life in response to this gospel of salvation for everyone? For those of us who are Christ followers, our understanding of a gospel for everyone must also impact our interactions with others. It can't be just for ourselves. And so we must ask, do we actually offer a gospel for everyone around us, through our lives at work, at home, and in our communities? Do we seek ways to bring the hospitality of Christ to those who feel excluded? Do we create hospitable, hospitable spaces in the Lord? Do we bring the compassion of Christ through our service and through our attitudes to those that we serve? Do we seek reconciliation and relationship with those whose lives are just very different and outside the scope of our own experience? Do we seek reconciliation and relationship with those whose experience has left them feeling excluded from the love of Christ, excluded from the whosoever. Do we truly believe that God sent Jesus to bring eternal life to everyone who believes? Sometimes I wonder if those of us who have been part of the church for a long time I wonder if we've become so familiar with the words of John 3.16, this small verse of scripture that perhaps was memorized in Sunday school days. Is it so familiar that perhaps we have forgotten just how astonishing that statement is? 
this gospel that embraces everyone is absolutely good news for the whole world. Here are the words of John 3:16 and 17 once more. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Will you pray with me? Creator God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making it possible for each and every one of us to know you, to be forgiven, to live life fully with you now and for eternity. Help us to extend your gospel of good news for the whole world to everyone we engage with, so that they too can know and receive your great, astonishing love. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In just a moment, two questions for reflection will be appearing on your screen. The first question is simply whether you actually believe that the gospel is for everyone. And if so, how is that shown in the way you live your life? The second question may seem similar, but it's not. Here the focus is on whether you really believe the gospel is meant for you individually, because sometimes our hearts don't align with our minds, and it's possible that someone listening today may not see themselves included in the everyone of the gospel. If that's you, if you feel you've been excluded from God's love, look at John 3.16 again and hear God's love for you. And if it's helpful, talk to someone from the Knox pastoral team or any others in this Knox community who can help you with your questions. God bless you.